0: Legends of Wasteland City is a post apocalyptic anthology series and may contain references to drugs, sex, and violence, along with the occasional vulgarity. You've been warned. The Ones Who Came Before, Chapter 9. Mutt jumped out of the bed before Zin could think to stop him. He grabbed his clothes that had been piled neatly by his bed and started throwing them on as fast as he could. Zin looked away politely as he put his patched camouflage pants on over a pair of olive green boxer shorts. He winced pulling on the shirt and was careful pulling it down past his bandaged wound.
1: Shouldn't you stay here? I, I don't think that you're ready to. If
0: they're here, it's because of me, and I'm not going to miss the fight. Mutt looked at the rifle around Zin's shoulder and realized he had no weapon of his own. I need to get to the armory. He fit his feet into his boots, not worrying about socks or actually lacing them. Instead, he just pulled the strings tight and tucked them under each boot's tongue. As he stood up now fully dressed, Zin saw him try to hide the pain from his back. He tied the dog up to a post by his bed. Stay here, good boy. Mutt spoke to the dog, who looked back at him confused.
2: I really don't think this is a good idea.
0: Mutt didn't register what she said. Are you coming? She hesitated for only a second.
2: Uh, yeah.
0: How's your aim?
1: Uh, Actually, pretty good.
0: Mutt led her past the other beds and out the door flaps of the medical tent. Zinn kept up the best she could and verified that her small rusty knife was still in the leg of her boot. They entered the courtyard where dukes were all scrambling to their stations, fully armed and ready for anything. The two men of the WCC marched out of the radio station, also fully armed, and joined a couple Dukes who were setting up a pair of mortars at the rear of camp. Brother Justify was behind them gathering his followers into the small door of the mountain bunker.
2: Come children, we fight with faith, not weapons.
0: After the last of his followers were in, he pulled himself inside and closed the door. The whole scene looked like chaos to Zen, but Mutt was well aware that everyone knew exactly what to do, that is, except for him cursed that bullet that had left him laid up while the rest of the camp prepared without him high above the camp valhalla and morning raven moved gingerly into positions in their snipers nests on the cliff face mongo and bacon took to the 250 caliber machine guns while most of the enlisted dukes took firing positions behind the outward facing wall and the sandbag bunkers inside the camp Hotshot barked orders from the middle of the courtyard
2: nobody fires until you get the order stay sharp
0: she turned and saw Mutt and Zin walking toward the front walls.
2: You two join the rear line, but stay out of sight. We don't need you pissing anybody off. Copy that. Okay, uh, copy.
0: Hotshot walked off toward Warchief Grimm's tent, and Zinn followed Mutt in a half-jog to the armory where Bullet and Big Spoon were handing ammo out to the FNGs, the fucking new guys who would run the heavy cans to the positions already held by the Duke's soldiers. Mutt took an AK and a few preloaded magazines, while Zinn was handed a box of .22s.
2: You sure you don't
1: want something bigger? I'll stick with old Henry.
0: She grabbed at the strap to the small rifle with one hand where it clung to her chest, and Bullet gave her a proud smile and a slight nod. Mutt led Zinn out of the armory into the rear sandbag walls where Blue was already stationed. She had a rifle sighted through a small opening in the sandbag wall and was crouched next to a detonator with a coil of wire leading toward the front of the camp that disappeared under the dirt. What do you see? Mutt asked as he prepared his weapon and checked the magazines.
2: Thirty or forty
1: of them moving behind the cars, a few back at the freeway. The four cars with red dots on the hoods are planted. The leader looks to be the man holding the white flag on their truck with the machine
2: gun.
0: Blue spoke but never looked away from the sight of her weapon. She spoke calmly, which helped settle Zinn down, but only a little. Mutt took a position through another opening in the sandbag wall, with Zinn crouching next to him. From here they only had a line of sight straight through the front gates and down the road, and could see a row of broken cars and a few of the raiders' heads poking out. Mutt could also see where Mongo and Bacon were holding the two fifty cows in the next line in front of them, and Hardass and Jackhammer stationed in either watchtower. He could hear motorcycles and trucks moving outside the camp, and the sound of the engines reflecting off the mountain walls created a constant rumbling that sounded like thunder echoing through. The whole camp went quiet as the last dukes fell into their positions and waited. From behind him, he heard the telltale sound of the war chief's tent flap, and Grim, with Hotshot at his side, marched through camp. Grim was focused, his uniform fitted perfectly, and the many metals that clung to his chest clinking rhythmically with each step. He took one last drag off a hand-rolled cigarette and dropped the smallest butt into the dirt. Zinn had noticed that when Grim smoked, it had a different scent than the tobacco her father had smoked regularly on the cattle ranch. And Mutt had mentioned that Grim mixed other leaves in like the ancient natives from the lands nearby had done a thousand years ago. The mixed leaves could help relax you, and grim had mentioned that sometimes it was the only thing keeping his head on straight hotshot just one step behind and carrying an assault rifle in one hand and a bullhorn in the other gave reassuring looks to each duke she passed she fell off grim's path to stop where mutzin and blue were
2: you got those charges set right ready to go okay wait for the signal and keep your heads down we don't want this thing going sideways
0: she half jogged away to catch up to the war chief from his spot, Muck could just make out Warchief Grimm and Hotshot climbing onto the front wall to a platform built on the side of the main gates, just below the Duke's nuke sign. Grimm reached the top and looked out, standing tall and ignoring any notion of taking cover. Hotshot crouched next to him and looked like she was trying to get him to get low, but Grimm resisted. Instead, he motioned for the bullhorn, which Hotshot handed up to him, before shifting herself into a firing position to cover the Warchief.
1: I was wondering he said something through
0: the bullhorn that was too muffled for mutt to hear screw this mutt knew it was a bad time to be ignoring orders but he got up anyway and moved to the western side of the rock hollow that the base was built into leaving zin and blue behind he crept along the cliff wall pushing forward toward the front gates until he could see grim and Hotshot above him as he moved he felt a pain in his abdomen as the stitches pulled at his still healing flesh but at least now he could hear the war chief on the bullhorn.
1: Uh, you can just pick up and get the fuck out of here before we kill every last one of you.
0: Mutt kept moving until he came to the makeshift metal wall that was the first line of defense against whatever was out there. He lifted a small latch and opened a six inch window that let him see outside the camp. From here he could see Bloodback soldiers in their positions behind the rusty vehicles on the road in and saw Zealot climb forward onto the top of the gunner truck's cab holding a white cloth. The 30 caliber on the back was being manned by one of the bulwarks and was trained right back at Grimm. The rest of the bloodbacks were scattered across the front of the camp, hiding behind the cars and ducked behind sand dunes and rocks. Muck confirmed the 30 or 40 Blue had counted, but where were the rest?
1: Ah, you must be the jackass in charge of this pathetic rabble. Go ahead, tell me what you want so I can officially tell you to go fuck yourself.
0: Grimm was not known for having great negotiation skills. But he did get to the point. Mutt's mind was racing a mile a minute. If he'd had time to prepare with the rest of the dukes rather than being stuck in that bed for the last four days, maybe he'd have a better idea of what to do. He was so engrossed in his own thoughts that he didn't notice Zen settle in next to him and aim the twenty-two through the wall. Zealot raised his arms in an almost passive reply, still holding the white cloth in the tips of his fingers. The driver of the truck Zealot stood on passed a CB microphone up to the Bloodback leader through the truck's missing rear window. Its spiral cord pulled tight and barely reached enough so that Zealot could speak into it. Now,
2: you have something of mine, a girl, and I'd like to have her back.
0: Zinn trained her small barreled rifle at Zealot, her fingers teasing the trigger. Grim smiled back at Zealot.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. She's under the protection of the Dukes of the Nuke.
0: Zealot put on as charming a smile as he could muster.
2: <laughs> now, let's be reasonable. She means nothing to you. And if you give her over now, we'll just forget about my bulwark that they killed during their daring escape and those fresh graves back by the highway. Those men
1: shot first but with the 2,000-meter-second projectile that's aimed at your chest right now, I don't think you'll get the same courtesy.
0: Valhalla shifted her weight just enough to get the scope of her rifle to glare back at Zealot, giving away her position. But she wasn't the only sniper today, and these raiders only had one weapon that could accurately reach her, and it was just behind Zealot in her scope. Zealot looked up at the sniper's nest, then down at the two fifty .50-caliber guns tucked behind thick sandbag walls and knew he was outmatched here. He dropped the white cloth and his face went cold for a moment. Then he smiled again.
2: That's a nice hand, but you haven't seen all my cards yet.
0: He turned and motioned to a couple raiders behind him who dragged a man with his head covered in a bag to the front of the gunner's truck. Once there, they tore off the bag, revealing the prisoner to be me, Makeshift, the commander of one of the small contingents out on a gun running mission. Fuck! Hotshot yelled from the wall. Several of the Dukes reset themselves in their positions. This just got real. With friendlies in the field of fire, the normal "light 'em up technique would be too risky. From behind the gunner truck, four more dukes were brought out and displayed on my side. We were all bruised up and looking pretty ragged after a couple of days of being blood-backed captives. Mutt recognized each of the four. There was Stray and her husband cockpit and the teen siblings Trench and Shithook. God damn it.
2: Any chance you might reconsider I was thinking we might make a trade. We don't have much use for these fellas, except maybe it's dog food, and I have a lot of dogs to feed.
0: Zealot motioned around to all of his blood-back army, who all howled back at him.
1: Wow, impressive. Now don't go doing anything rash. Anything happens to those dukes and you'll have three bullets in your brain before you can say motorhead.
0: Mutt's eyes widened. Grim hated a Mexican standoff, The code word motorhead meant they were going for an overkill. Each Duke would pick a target and all start firing at once. The prisoners would know to expect a move and get down on the first round of shots. Snipers would hit targets manning the biggest guns and the rest of the Dukes would carve a path for them to make it back to the camp. All Grimm had to do now was say the fire code. But Zealot didn't take the warning and instead jumped down, off the hood of the truck, behind the row of captives.
2: How about I just shoot one right now?
0: Zealot pulled out a handgun and aimed it at the back of my head. Grim looked back to get a look at Valhalla up in her sniper's nest, but Valhalla gave him a subtle shake of her head. She didn't have a clean shot. Grim needed to stall to get Zealot back into the open.
1: Okay, okay, just give us a minute to bring the girl up. You're right, she doesn't mean anything to us anyway.
0: The war chief was bluffing and all the dukes who heard him knew it. Once under the protection of the dukes, there was no going back. Mutt hoped that Blue would reassure Zinn that there was no chance the Dukes would give her up, but he still didn't realize that she was just a few yards to his right. Grim whispered something to Hotshot and she yelled back into the camp.
2: Dukes! Stand down! Get the girl!
0: Bring her up! Zinn's heart sank and she let out a stunned breath. (sighs) Mutt heard it and for the first time noticed Zinn on his side. She relined her shot on Zealot who was still holding a gun to my head and took her shot. No! The small round hit Zealot in his left shoulder, and he fired his gun, but the .22 cutting through his muscle and embedding itself in his bones spoiled his aim, and he missed my skull by less than an inch. Zealot fell back against the bumper of the truck before catching his balance. He looked down at the growing blood mark on his shoulder and his eyes filled with a whole new level of rage. He stepped forward, determined to end the lives of each of the prisoners himself, but the second he went to raise his pistol again, several shots rang out. The gunner on the 30 cal went down, as did the two raiders that were holding the Duke prisoners, who all dropped prone to the ground while a volley of covering fire peppered every Bloodback position. Zealot ran and ducked down behind some wreckage. From the back of the Duke's camp, Mutt heard the sound of mortar fire. The airborne explosives flew over the camp and landed on either side of the gunner truck. Smoke bombs that blocked the view for all the raiders behind them. Bullets were flying in all directions as the Bloodbacks returned fire. Grim and Hotshot ducked down from their position on top of the wall.
2: Who shot that?
0: Bullets cut holes through the wall in front of them as Hotshot yelled out.
2: Blue, hit it!
0: Back behind the several lines of defense, Blue dropped her gun and pulled the trigger on the detonator. Fire in the hole! The mines exploded in front of the camp, flipping cars, turning half a dozen raiders into red mist, and clearing a path for the prisoners back to camp. Through the smoke, Mutt saw me and the others run for it. As we ducked behind cars and the bombed out holes, trying to get whatever cover we could, Mutt trained his gun out into the smoke and saw raiders moving forward trying to shoot us prisoners. He fired, taking out one, hitting the leg of another. Shots from other dukes finished the job. The 50 cals rang out as Mongo and Bacon sent out the kind of covering fire that made hard men piss themselves. The shots went right over the prisoners' heads and through the rusty cars the bloodbacks were using for cover, killing a few but mostly just keeping them from getting any shots off. The dust clouds from the explosions began to clear and Mutt could see Zealot coming around the back of the gunner truck. He climbed on the bed and pulled the slumped dead raider from around the machine gun, taking his position. Mutt put Zealot between his sights and pulled the trigger, but it didn't fire, dead bullet. He cranked the bolt of his AK-47 to reload the chamber. Zealot pulled the trigger on the machine gun and swept his fire one time across the escaping prisoners. Two of us went down. He leapt back down off the truck as a hail of gunfire from the guard towers pelted the truck and the 30 caliber gun. The truck's driver tried to back away, but was shot in the volley of bullets and fell with his face pressed on the steering wheel sounding the truck's horn. It stopped suddenly as his left rear bumper caught on a rusty car body. Grim and Hotshot stood and fired relentlessly at the truck as Zealot ducked down behind it. From the top of the wall, on either side of camp vash signaled over to grin and each fired down at the truck with a pair of rocket launchers the rockets whizzed through the air and impacted below the gunner truck's front bumper the explosion flipped the truck back almost crushing zealot as he scurried away from the fight a bulwark on a dirt bike pulled out in front of him and zealot climbed on the back wheel tossed up a wall of dirt as the rider pulled the throttle back and the two fled as fast as the bike would go the rest of the Bloodbacks tried to follow as the dukes kept firing and taking out the ones they could but the same smoke that blinded the bloodbacks now covered their retreat. Zinn could barely see through the wall enough to watch me and the other former prisoners that were still standing run back and grab the injured dukes and carry them into the camp. But it was no use. Trench and Shithook were already dead. Mutt took a few more shots at the fleeing bloodbacks, then looked over to where the freed prisoners were now pulling the bodies of his fallen friends back into the camp. He ran over. Trench and Shithook were the closest thing to siblings he'd ever had. Seeing them lifeless broke him. He fell on his knees next to the bodies, tears streaming from his eyes as he grabbed onto their jackets. This is my fault. It's all my fault. The blood from his sutured gunshot soaked through his shirt as the entire camp went quiet except for a few last shots from the towers. Zinn watched Mutt grieving, trying to figure out what she should do next. She stood, placed Old Henry against the front wall, and walked back toward the radio station. I looked up to where Hotshot and Grim were still standing on top of the wall. What
1: the hell was that all about? Someone's about to get my boot up their asses, what? Mongo, let's gear up for a counteroffensive. Mutt, you said they were camped at the old travel stop, right? That's right. Good. Hotshot, you stay here with the. What?
2: No! I'm coming with you!
1: It's probably a trap. And if it is, I can't have this base undefended. We're splitting the company. We just took their best weapon. Now's the chance to end this.
0: On the east side of the cliffs. Bile and about 30 other bloodbacks were moving into position outside the rear entrance of the Duke's camp, near the firing range where Zinn had learned to shoot. Their plan to use the prisoners in exchange for the girl had failed, but they weren't out of play as yet. Sledge popped his head out from the dugout. He was moving erratically, probably high on jet or some other upper from his bag of goodies.
2: It's reinforced steel, locked from the inside. Can you get it open? I've got a mortar down here but no way to set it off so it'll be sure to blow the door. Someone would have to- Give me your bag. What? No. Give me your bag.
0: Sledge reluctantly took the bag off of his shoulder and handed it up to Bile, who started digging around in it. Bile grabbed a glass bottle full of bright orange pills, throwing the whole thing down to Sledge, who caught it and figured out what Bile was telling him to do.
2: Oh, come on. Let me figure out a- Take the pills. No, 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 no way, no way!
0: Bile pointed his gun straight at Sledge, who felt his high slipping away.
2: Take the fucking pills! Fuck. God. Well, at least give me another jet,
0: too. Bile fished around in the bag, pulling out a chemical inhaler, and threw it down. Don't take too long. Bile led the rest of the bloodbacks back away from the dugout, and they all hid in the rocks behind the Duke's firing range, checking their weapons. In the hole, Sledge looked over at the solitary mortar laying on the ground next to him, then to the bottle of pills in his left hand and the jet in his right. The orange pills took away your inhibitions, relaxed you, and made you very susceptible to suggestion. They were handed to the blood peons before raids, including this one. The jet was a hallucinogenic that gave you a huge boost of energy and could make you feel invincible, like a god. He thought about running, but he knew he'd just be shot anyway.
1: Ah, fuck
0: it. He emptied the whole bottle of pills in his hand and without even an ounce of water swallowed the whole bunch. He waited a few seconds, cradling the inhaler of Jet in his other hand. When he felt the euphoria starting to kick in from the orange pills, he took the hit of Jet. Ooh, yeah. He picked up the mortar and looked at the steel door in front of him. In his raging mind, he could almost see right through it. He felt powerful holding the mortar in his hand. He was the bomb, and nothing was keeping him from breaking through that door. He raised the mortar over his head like he was holding a spear and charged the door with everything he had. Ones Who Came Before was written by me, Mike Makeshift Darling. Narrated and directed by Makeshift. Zinn was played by Mallory Trennell. Mutt was played by Sean Cunningham. Brother Justify was played by Jet Black. Zealot was played by Jay Preston. Hotshot, Blue, Bullet, and Warchief Grimm all played themselves. Bio was played by Kaelin Chase. The Dying Bloodback was played by Shepard. Sledge was played by Brett McCabe, who also helped with several voiceover recordings. Legends of Wasteland City is a production of The Apocalypse Post. You can help support Legends of Wasteland City and the Apocalypse Post by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash theapocalypsepost. Stick around after the break for more info about today's episode. Hey, Survivors, here's another podcast you might be interested in, especially if you are a DD and d fan, check out Fire Breathing Kittens, which is an actual play Dungeons & Dragons one-shot podcast with a season-long plot. Because each week's adventure has a standalone microplot, similar to like CSI or Doctor Who. You can feel free to jump in at any point in the season. There's no need to catch up on past episodes or listen to every single release. You can hop in to any tale that sounds fun. That means there's a beginning and an end to each week's story. The episode descriptions list the characters who are playing that week so you can follow along with one person's adventures specifically if there's someone you like. The cast does rotate. Each week has a different combination of four of the same group of people. So join them as they solve detective mysteries, attempt comedic banter, explore, and enjoy friendship. You can find Fire Breathing Kittens wherever you find great podcasts. And since this was done as a promo swap, if any of you from Fire Breathing Kittens have found Legends of Wasteland City, thank you so much for coming, and I hope you're having a good time. Hello, survivors! Welcome back to Legends of Wasteland City. Specifically, this story, the ones who came before. Thank you so much for listening. We are so close to the end. This was episode 9 of 10, and here's the thing, guys, to be quite honest. This is where we were going to end. And actually, even before we get to the end of this episode, I, I extended it a bit to kind of set some things up for episode 10 when I started writing a finish. And here's, here's what happened, all right? I wanted to leave it on a cliffhanger. That's just a thing you do with stories like this that are going to continue. You kind of add a cliffhanger, but it's a very, mm, I don't know. It, it's good and bad, right? Because for one thing, you want you want to want more. But for me, I got to admit, I like when stories kind of end before before they go bad, if that makes sense, like think about how many of your favorite TV shows just went on a little bit too long. Um, oh man, I can name a lot, but mostly it's like sitcoms that should have ended a long time ago. And yeah, think about like the MCU and how it's it keeps going and going and going. And I don't know if it's necessarily getting better. They're just now they're just making films to to make I don't know just to make money. I mean it's always to make money. You make films to make money. Uh, i wish it was like that with podcasts i wish it was you make podcasts to make money but um this is actually something i noticed as a difference between like american filmmaking or television making i should say and british television making sometimes in british television making you do a season and that's it that's the story you tell your one story over the course of a season and that's it and if you start if you do get a second season you start a new story i'm thinking about um sherlock for instance uh it always ends the story and if there happens to be another one great but if you don't get another one, it's okay, you didn't leave things cliffhanging. And we've seen problems with American television. I can name a few shows specifically, um, like Deadwood, uh, Carnival. These are two HBO shows that they got canceled before they got to really finish their story. Um, and it happens all the time. So anyway, uh, I, I'm a big admirer of finishing the story and I decided that that's what I was gonna do for you guys. So we're gonna, this, you, there will be an ending you know, and, and there's, I'm leaving it open for a lot more stories, but we're going to end this one next episode. Cause the cliffhanger, while it was going to be a lot of fun and lead into a whole new adventure, um, I think, I think we'll, we'll leave the cliffhangers for later. (laughs) Um, so anyway, we started this episode off with Mutt still in bed. He's been laid up for about eight days. And he's been conscious for maybe four of them, give or take. I kind of left that open ended. I wasn't exactly sure how long he's been there, but um, we do know that it's been eight days since him and Zinn got back to camp. Um, and well, I don't think I don't think he was quite ready to get out of bed, but he did, uh, and uh, I'm glad he did. I mean, this was kind of Mutt's story, so he has to he has to be a part of it. And uh, I know a few episodes back, we kind of we split the story, and so now it's kind of Mutt and Zinn's story. Um, except now that we're into episode nine, like this is very much a, a Duke story. Like we're, we're introducing a lot more characters, not introducing, I think they've already been introduced, but what we're doing is telling, telling the story from a lot more perspectives. Um, just trying to make it more of like an ensemble piece toward the end here, which I, I hope you enjoy. Cause I know for a fact that, um, well, I've, I went from third person, uh, as a narrator telling this story about Mutt and Zen, uh, And then we kind of dove in, we, we teased the waters a few episodes back with first person because Makeshift is the one telling this story. You know, I imagine like he's at the Duke's camp somewhere telling a bunch of like the the, the younger Dukes or the new recruits, like this story about Mutt that probably happened, you know, years ago. Uh, but it gets to the point where he has to tell in the first person because it involves his character. So I, I hope that the perspective shift is pretty seamless um but i understand where it can be a little confusing so anyway i took a risk on it let me know what you think um so um we got the bloodbacks, and they are putting up a pretty big show of force and in the front of camp outside the front gates and i think this is very mad max style because we've seen this happen oh boy well i guess mostly in the road warrior mad max 2 where uh, humongous and his dogs of war all kind of make a big show of force right outside the compounds walls uh so yeah i'm kind of like calling back some of that those visuals of like you know this one massive army outside uh going up against this tribe's defenses and of course you know the power play is a little bit reversed in this case the dukes of the nuke are really well armed and zealot and his Bloodbacks are uh less so armed but they do have the numbers although you may have noticed some of the blood backs are missing uh and that comes up uh we kind of get the hint of that toward the end of this episode where sledge is well basically he becomes a uh suicide bomber (laughs) in a way (laughs) anyway i want to talk more about that later so we'll, we'll get back there but um in the beginning of this episode brother justify also hides in the bunker um the original short story was really short first off it was like two pages it was it was literally like a a 90 second short film that all of this is based on i basically made a feature film from this like page and a half story that i wrote years ago but um it was really to drive a point home um and and the the it was kind of an unnamed character i think he may have still been mutt um but yeah he's he's stolen something from some raiders he's running back um, they get to the Duke's camp. The Dukes basically eradicate everyone that's following him, but he does get shot in the process, which is why he still gets shot in this. Um, and then when he gives the radio parts to, to Brother Justify, um, Brother Justify basically thanks him for his sacrifice and goes on to jump on the radio. And so, you know, I think I was trying to make a point about, like, about like you know, religion and power dynamics and, um, and how, like, someone's sacrifice to one person is their life and and the sacrifice the other person is making is, well, not their own. They're like sacrificing someone else. And so, you know, when you see power dynamics in the world, um, especially when it comes to like big government and and armies and uh, religion, you know, it's it's, it's often that the sacrifice is put upon somebody else, like you will sacrifice for me. Um, So yeah, I mean, take from that what you will, but um, we've got brother Justify hiding in the bunker. Uh, and he says that you know he fights with, with faith, not weapons. And um, I, I, you know there's there's something there. I mean, war is not for everybody. That's for sure. Uh, it's definitely not for me. <laughs> it's definitely not for me personally. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a pacifist myself. But you know, this is a defense situation, and um, and 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 you know, this the world of the Dukes of the Nuke is all about. You have to stand up for yourselves, or you will die. Um, So we're going to see if Brother Justify can't make up for, you know, his pacifism uh, in this big battle that is still ongoing at the end of this episode. Uh, Speaking of the big battle, this is the biggest one yet. And my God, um, throwing the sound effects in for this is insane because you know i need a lot of action happening in every direction um, but i also need to put in all the weapons that we're kind of referencing so those are a little bit louder while there's a bunch of stuff happening in the background it's layers upon layers upon layers of sound effects that go into this uh and i hope it sounds good i hope i hope you guys had fun like kind of diving into the middle of this battle and feeling like you're a part of it because um Oof, that was that was a lot. Oh, boy. I mean, I've been working on this thing for like a week and a half uh, in in all of my free time and for days straight. And um, I, I think it's worth it. Like when when I listen back, uh, I'm so happy. It just makes me so happy. Um, all right. So moving on, we got Mutt and Zinn. They're both ignoring orders, uh, which could lead to some real consequences. Well, it did. It, it did lead to real consequences. Um, and I'm kind of leaving it open to interpretation whether Zinn taking that shot has led to Trench and Shithook getting getting murdered Um, but I don't know if the Dukes had a better plan or not you know there's a a little bit of chaos that I'm playing with in this and uh, that actually comes straight from George Miller when you watch the early Mad Max movies actually all the Mad Max movies all of them there's a bit of chaos, the, you know. In general, movie making rules it says if you introduce something, it should have a point. Like it should drive the story forward. If you do a close up on a prop, it's because it's important. That kind of thing. But I like what George Miller does, and 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 it, it is. It's a little bit kind of carving his own path because there's stuff, there's elements in his movies that are not integral to the plot. They're they're just there for chaos. And I think when you've got battle scenes and you've got you've got adventures like this there should be stuff that comes up that isn't necessarily part of the story it's just you know part of the world anyway i had some kind i had some fun playing with some things that you just kind of throw in just to pepper in a little extra spice here and there that doesn't necessarily drive the story forward Um, but it does tell you a little bit more about their world and i think that's more than enough and speaking of all the chaos, uh, I gotta admit, it, like coming from a filmmaking background and trying to paint an entire scene and like give give quick lip service to all the things I'm imagining happening um, during like a during like a battle scene, uh, it's honestly tough to to fit in all of the action that's happening. Um, you know, you gotta you gotta kind of do some broad strokes and then get in get into the details that really matter. Uh, so it's been a bit of a learning curve for me as far as storytelling through audio only Uh, but it's been a blast and um, I think that what's really cool is actually adding in the sound effects helps to helps to paint that picture it gives you this whole like backdrop of audio that kind of tells what's happening uh, where where you know I'm not necessarily telling you everything that's happening So Makeshift shows up and now he is firmly part of the story. Um, I'm keeping his lines pretty slim just because it gets a little weird with me narrating and all that. Um, But uh, I think it's kind of fun to throw in a real line here and there. It's really interesting like trying to dive into a character like Makeshift that I I don't role play with him too too much at Wasteland. It's just kind of me. So yeah, it's kind of fun to very quickly shift over to, like, an acting role and then get back to narrating. But anyway, let's see. Grimm does make a decision at the end to split the company, leaving Hotshot in charge. Uh, that will have some consequences of its own. You know, Grimm kind of knows that there's a trap happening, uh, but he doesn't know exactly what it is. But he figures may as well go after the leader while we have the advantage. Um, but yeah, with, um, with Bile and the rest of the Bloodbacks now having a way in the back... Uh, this battle is far from over. We had our last kind of like vignette on the bloodbacks with Sledge dying like that. Um, it's been really interesting to me to kind of like focus in on some of these bloodback deaths. Like, um, first off, they're some of the only deaths that we've really talked about. But I think it's really important to kind of show uh, just how how their deaths are generally alone, violent, and, and kind of sad in, in ways. Like, they, they're never mourned. Um, basically, once one blood back dies, the rest are turn against them and forget them. And I think that's, you know, something pretty fascinating. But I really enjoy the vignettes because, I don't know, it's just fun to kill off characters. And when they're bad guys, you can do it and have some fun with it. So another fun fact is I had a chance to visit the Dukes this past weekend. Uh, feels like forever ago already. Um, and I got to do some some pickup lines. So we added a couple of scenes. Actually, there's a, a scene that we added in episode 10 that's coming up. You'll see that one. Um, well, I mean, you won't know it's there. Hopefully you won't know it's there. But uh, And I got to have Grim redo a couple lines and Hotshot redo a couple lines. Um, and it was just so much easier with me there. Not that they didn't do a great job the first time. It's just I've been kind of editing the story a bit and had to change a couple of things. I also added a lot more music to this episode. I don't know if it's necessarily more... But for episodes 9 and 10, I mean, it's almost constant music in the background. Uh, For one, I feel like there's so much energy. There's so many things happening. I wanted to keep up the energy, and the music helps that. Also, I just feel like there's so much going on. There's so much drama. There's so much action. There's so much stuff. (laughs) Makeshift has a great uh, vocabulary. There's so much stuff happening um, that I feel like like having as much music as possible is just really helping drive the story forward, and I love it. Um, Also, this is the longest episode yet with its biggest cast. And believe it or not, episode 10 is even longer and bigger, which is nuts. Um, But I'm really treating these two episodes as one thing. I edited them together, like I recorded the narration together. I edited them together Uh, as I'm speaking right now. They're both pretty much done. Uh, The only thing I'm going to do is wait a few days before I do the notes for episode 10. Uh, That's this part where I'm actually just talking to you guys uh, just so that I don't miss anything because I already feel like I'm missing things. I got to say, you know, listening to this episode and episode 10, I am so proud of where this story went and, and I'm so proud of all the, all the, uh, voiceover actors work. Like, you know, we had about half of them that were wastelanders that are playing their own characters, or we got a couple of wastelanders that are playing a different character, which is fine too. Um, but everyone did such a good job and it, and it's cutting together so well, I'm super proud. And then, of course, the the people that stepped up and played characters that aren't theirs. Absolutely amazing. Um, I get to hang out with uh, Jay Preston while I was in L.A. He plays Zealot. And I think out of everybody, he's probably the most, I don't want to say most professional, but I think, you know, out of everybody, he is, of course, like the voiceover actor on the cast. And um, first off, I love everything he brought to Zealot the whole way through. Just really good work and you know he really sets the standard for what i'm trying to go for on this channel but i gotta also admit uh everyone else really did their part to make sure that you know they were up to his level as well so i'm I'm super excited about that uh I, i hope you guys are enjoying it too um let's see i got a couple of clerical things to do first off right now right now happening right now there is a Kickstarter going on for the Wasteland Weekend 2022 event map. This is the one where I fly my drone, I take 100 pictures, I stitch them all together, and then I mark it like a map with road signs and where all the tribes are parked and all that kind of stuff. And that's on Kickstarter right now. I'm going to put a link top of the show notes so you can't miss it because this is only going on for a couple more weeks i am really close to the goal i think it's about 88 percent or 90 percent or something like that for the goal of 2500 in order to get these things printed up there's a bunch of options there's like a whole movie poster which is huge 27 by 48 40 40 40? 27 by 40. so it's actual movie poster size and then there's a much smaller like show poster like a like a band poster which is 11 by 17 i believe um, there's also some digital prints available, and if you want that big version, laminated or framed, I put in options for that as well. Um, so there's a lot of ways to get your hands on one of these maps, plus uh, pretty much all of the tiers have a digital option. So the digital map, which is absolutely ginormous, I mean, if you printed this thing up in photo quality, 300 dots per inch, it would be over 10 feet tall. It's freaking huge. You can walk up, you, c- you couldn't walk up to the digital, of course, but you can zoom in all the way um, and see a lot of details that you wouldn't even know were there. Also uh, of course if you are not a member of the Patreon I would encourage you to join because that is where you get early access to everything plus um, some exclusive stuff. I think if we do another another season of this I'm going to do exclusive stories for the patrons because um, you know they're they're just supporting like crazy and I want to give back. So thank you all who have joined the Patreon and have stuck it out for as long as you have I know that some people come and go um, but a lot of you have been there since day one and um, to all all you new people thank you so much for joining I really appreciate it Um, episode 10 is coming very soon hopefully in a week or so and I'm super excited about that lastly before we finish this episode um, you may notice that my ending music's not up yet and that's for a reason because a wastelander by the name of Moses reached out with this amazing gift and I want to share it with all of you it seems he got inspired by the show one night and wrote a song for Dead Raider Jerky, and it is so good. It's it's gonna crack you up. So instead of my normal sign-off music today, we're gonna play out with his tune. So survivors, here's Moses Biskatowski with his original tune. Fuck it. <laughs>
2: coming to your camp and steal all your shit. You and your friends are getting real sick of it. But they're heavily armed, you don't know what to do. I tell you, the Dukes of the Nuke have got something for you. The Raiders might be quick, but the Dukes are faster. Fuck it. Let's eat the bastards. They're picking off the Raiders now, one by one, drying out their corpses in the midday sun. Raider jerky is such a treat. Besides, when was the last time y'all had any real meat? It's seasoned and smoked by a real pit master. Fuck it. Let's eat the bastards. You can have an Armour Lager if you're feeling real heinous. You can have a piece of Dead or jerky heinous. We got three flavors for you to choose. And you can wash it down with one of your favorite wasteland brews. It tastes a little better when we all get plastered. Fuck it. Let's eat the bastards. We're all real hungry and we know what we're after. Fuck it. Let's eat the bastards. Makeshift's everyone's favorite podcaster. Fuck it. Let's eat the bastards.